0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Thank you so much band. We're gonna spend some time in worship a little bit later as well. You guys all had a good week so far? As someone pointed out a little bit earlier, the week has just started. Today is meant to be the first day of the week, but I hope you all had a great week. For those who joined for the burger night, it was good. For those who didn't, sorry you missed out. Next time, we had a great time on Wednesday with having burgers together, and I'm just so excited to be able to... Just share with us a little bit this evening. I don't often do this, but uh, just a little bit of, of my story. I think sometimes we're so encouraged just by the way how God works in different people's lives. And so I want us just to, you can turn to Mark chapter 15, which is one of those nights that set the course of my life was around Mark 15. So it'll be up on the screens as well. You're welcome to read in your own Bible if you prefer. And um, it's a a passage that I read sort of towards the end of my time at university, roughly, where many of you, I guess, would be now sort of in, in that phase of our lives. And building up to that, I'd grown up in, I guess, a Christian home. We weren't Buddhist and we weren't Hindu. We weren't Muslim. So we were probably Christian. Um, we had a couple of Bibles in our home, and my dad was sort of involved in our church in some way. And I think for all of us, don't want to speak too much about the rest of them, but for me it was just that that's what we do type of thing. It, it wasn't that I had a relationship with Jesus. I had a Bible, and I knew it was a good idea to pray, especially if you're writing a big test tomorrow or something. Then you've got to sort of find the Bible and maybe read a passage. And we went to children's church Sunday school pretty much every Sunday, because my mom was involved in the children's church, and then it's really hard to not be there because mom's working there, so you have to be there. And I don't know. I said this morning, I don't know how they do it. So we, we plan. We try and plan our stuff as a church, but there's always stuff that changes and pops up, and stuff that we didn't think of, and stuff that we need to change, etc. And then I don't know how they did it back in those days. The church that I grew up in, at sort of towards the end of the year, you got a calendar mapping out the whole of next year's dates and stuff. That's pretty impressive, anyone who's ever tried to work out a calendar a year in advance. And one of our highlights would be is we'd get that calendar, and we'd go look for all of the communion Sundays. Because communion Sunday, for some strange reason, there was no children's church. So communion Sunday, we could stay home and sleep late, and that was really awesome for us. I had three brothers and so kind of not having to go to church was pretty cool. But so we'd always have to go. And it wasn't like here where Sunday school was the same time as church. It was before. So you'd go to Sunday school, and then as soon as it's finished, you've got to go sit in church. Now, you guys are all amazingly gifted, talented, disciplined, self-controlled individuals. Myself and my three brothers, we weren't always. And so we'd go sit on these hard benches, the four of us my dad sitting in front there somewhere with all the important people, and then my mom in the middle with two of us on one side and two of us on the other side for an hour of torture. Every week. We'd sit there and the guy preaching would, I don't know, he might have preached really amazing stuff. It just didn't mean anything to me because I wasn't in a place where I was willing or able to listen. And Then a couple of things often would happen. Some or one of the four of us would make a little joke and we'd start laughing. Bad news, we'd get home, we'd get a hiding. Or we'd talk, get home, get a hiding. Or not smile enough, get home. Maybe not quite get a hiding, but get a stern talking to. And, and that was sort of my experience of, of growing up. And then I went on a first year's camp and some of you are, are, my kids don't believe me when I say this. I'm older than Google, okay? And <laughs> so I went on this first year's camp, and the very first email I ever sent in my life. How's this? I sent at the end of my matric year. Some of you are like, whoa, is that even possible? Yes. At the end of my matric year, I had to figure out how this email thing works. We had this little machine, its like way before your date, it was called a modem. And it connected to this other crazy thing we had, which is a telephone. And you like pick it up. It's almost like this, but it had a wire. So if someone phoned and you're watching your favorite TV show, you couldn't pause the TV show. It doesn't work like that. You have to run. And you have four boys and you kind of slap each other until eventually someone gets up and runs to where the telephone is to pick it up. And then calls the poor person for who it is. So anyway, you plug into your telephone this little machine that makes these weird noises. Who's ever heard the sound of a dial-up modem? Funny, here we go. Yeah, the old people here on my left, okay. <laughs> anyway, the first email I ever sent was to go to, was to find out something about this camp, this church camp, and I was going to university that my mom had arranged for me to go on. And sort of the end of, of my school career, it was a little bit of an interesting time. My parents got divorced at what you guys would call today grade 11. We had totally different names back then. I still to do that standard, yes, we had to still do the calculation in my head every time, still today when I'm talking to my kids, and they tell me they're in grade five, I have to go, what is that again, okay, got it, Um, and so my parents divorced, and at the end of, um, that was the start of my, my grade 11 year, at the start of my matric year, my brother, quick tip, if you go to a party, and the people tell you, please don't dive into the swimming pool, it's shallow, listen to them, my brother didn't, and ended up in hospital for a very long time with a broken neck, and um, I guess that's part of his story. Just at that stage, he was a believer already, and my mom had come to faith, and um, he went to he was in Oladell Clinic in in Johannesburg where they took him up for the late at night the injury at a party, and he um, the. The first thing that the neurosurgeon said to my mom, like, are oh, you Mrs. Bosov? Yes, I'm Mrs. Bosov. I'm sorry, your son is a quadriplegic for the rest of his life. And my mom had, had some response, some faithful, faith-inspired response. I'm not sure exactly what she said, but something along the lines of, I believe in a God who heals. And the doctor sort of laughed at her. Um, but the, sort of a long story short, and that's his story, is he walked out of that hospital. I guess he didn't quite walk out of the hospital. We pushed him out in a wheelchair, but a little bit later, he started walking again, and Ended up spending a couple of years of his life working on a ship, and if he was walking around here, he would be, I guess, as normal as any younger brother could be normal, Um, and he has a little bit of a, less of a limp in his left leg than I do at the moment. Um, But in that, I realized that there was more to this God thing that I've experienced. Anyway, so I went to this first year's camp, sent the email, got the reply, and with sort of the information, went on this weird church called Shofar's Camp, just what is this even? Anyway, my mom had organized for me to go on the camp, went on the camp, had an incredible encounter with Christ on that camp. I'll tell you about that at a, at a different stage maybe and, and came to know the Lord. And that evening and that, during that camp, that whole process, I realized there was more to this Jesus thing than I'd been living. And so then uh, my varsity, I was... I was really privileged, if that's the right word, that I came into an environment where the norm was following Jesus. The people that I met at first adversity, as I stepped into it from the camp, were people who were really passionate for Jesus. So no, no one ever told me to do Bible school. I just did Bible school because everyone was doing Bible school. That's what you do. It was on a Tuesday night there as well as you do Bible school. No one ever told me you have to go to small group, which is what we do. We get together on Wednesdays and we go to small group. And So I started getting involved in church, a lot more involved, and was privileged to really be exposed to ministry and involved in ministry. Got more and more, sort of gone on missions and later on started doing other stuff. People often ask me, kind of, where did I, I learn about preaching? And perhaps not so much the, the speaking side, but on the preparation side, it's a bit of a weird answer. We had an incredibly gifted minister who led our church, When back, Shofan Bosch back in the day. Fantastic orator, gifted interpreter of scripture, and um, just a really prophetic, gifted, gifted guy. And he would come. In. And so, where I started, I sort of could help myself around a computer. And so I started serving in the projection team, and we would like had a little table similar to this, and we put up a little projector. Um, when I first arrived there, some of you guys have never seen these machines in your life. It's called an overhead projector. It's like a little light that shines up, and then at the top there's a mirror. And you put pictures or whatever, and then the light, like, it's like magic, and it like, shines on the screen. And we had these in all of our classes at school. It was a normal thing. I actually had a teacher who used to wear sunglasses because she had some light sensitivity. And every time when she was working on the projector, she'd put her big fat sunglasses on and the whole class would laugh at her at school. But anyway, I arrived at church and they had this project, this overhead projector thing and you'd have the words printed out on a sheet. And some poor person would have to sit there with a sheet. And then we got advanced or they got advanced. They cut out a little template from a piece of paper, and as you go from verse to verse, they'd slide, so only that little piece would show on the screen. And then during kind of, that's kind of when I came into church, and then we got really advanced. We got this machine that you put on a table, and it projected words a little bit like this behind me. And then they needed someone to work on the computer, and I started getting involved there, and that's, you say, how did you learn to preach that way? Well, what happened is a pastor would arrive normally sort of halfway into worship, and he'd have it all normally, a folded A4 or an A5 piece of paper, and he'd slap it on the table where I'm sitting and focusing on making sure that the right words are on at the right time and what's the band about to sing and where they're going. And then this paper would arrive on the table. And that was his sermon notes. And the problem was that kind of we like got a song and a half or two songs to go, and then he needs his sermon notes back because he needs to preach from his sermon notes. And so I'd type it all out and like flipping like Alt-Tab, Alt-Tab, hopping between, kind of having the right words on screen and typing out, just sometimes getting it completely horribly wrong and whatever, doing that for. And we had three services on a Sunday, and so I'd probably be at at least two Morning, one evening, maybe serving at one, attending the other, sometimes attending at two, sometimes serving at two, sometimes serving at three. And when you've done that for two or three services a Sunday for a couple of years, typing out sermons, you get an idea what a flow of the sermon. Looked. And what was amazing is I'd see his notes and then I'd hear him preach the message. And just seeing kind of how from the notes the message developed, that really helped and shaped anyway, just a, a weird way. I don't know why this thing keeps turning off today. It's because I said I know something, my computer is now, biting me back. okay. And so I, I got this involvement to ministry, and I had a desire, I just, this is cool. We get to be part of it. We went on a bunch of missions and traveled across the world, traveled across the country, and just met a whole bunch of really, really amazing people. And I got to the end, I did my, I did a degree similar sort of to actuarial science, and we, it was sort of a hybrid actuarial science, so we did half of the actuarial science subjects with actuarial science students. And then some of their subjects were all about, like, working out mortality rates and insurance policies and boring things like that. And we went to go and study Warren Buffett and exciting things while they did their boring things. And then when they were finished working out who's going to die next, we joined them up again. And got this, sort of get, got to the end. I remember one, in my last year of studying, my third year, my, third, my final year, I was going on a long mission and... I knew at that stage at work that you you write the exam in late November, and if you fail it, or at least you qualify for the supplementary, you come back in January to write the supplementary exam. That's how it worked back. I don't know how it works here now, but that's how it worked back then. And I remember putting together a Mayday pack. So I went on this mission and had to pack everything away in storage in the residence where I was staying, and I wrote big and black letters on this one, like, Simba-sized box, Mayday pack. And I put... My one subject, mathematical statistics. I don't know if anyone's ever had mathematical statistics. It did not quite work so well for me. But I put it in those notes in the Mayday pack, and I needed the Mayday pack when I got back a little bit later. But ended up getting the degree, but not doing so well in statistics. Still passed, but they didn't want to let me do honors in statistics. I asked very nicely. They said no. And then the economics guys came to knock on my door. They said, you get this economics thing pretty well. Why did not you come and do honors here? And so I went and did the honors in economics, and then the statistics in economics is really easy when you've done other stats, and came to the end of my honors year, and I knew my time wasn't finished. I knew God still wanted me to be in Stellenbosch, not so much for anything else, but to continue to serve in the church, and so um, I'm telling way more than the story than I wanted to. Anyway, so I I was there, and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm served, but kind of there's one problem that I knew God wanted me to stay, but I also knew my money was finished. That kind of a there was provision for me to study to the end of my honors year, and then I needed to make a plan. So I was praying, and I think I prayed, for a remember correctly, I prayed the night. I was like, God, I really sense you're staying. I'm saying I'm going to stay here, but I don't know. I'm going to have to do something about an income around this. And the next morning, literally the next morning, I turned on my computer, I had a computer in my room, and get a, an email from my head of department at the university. And I was like, oh, shucks, I'm probably in trouble. Um, but he, he wanted to see me. I remember the email said, oh, he wants to see me about my plans for next year. So I, I go and I see him the next day, make an appointment. and I, I go and see him, and he says, listen, we'd really like for you to do your master's, and if you decide to stay and do your master's, we want to offer you a post as a lecturer. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. They're actually going to pay me to stay at the university and um, pay me enough to be able to kind of pay my class fees. And they didn't write that off, which was, would have been really nice, but they didn't continue to pay my class fees, pay my accommodation, and buy some two-minute noodles. And the great thing about the, the way that it's kind of structured is they really wanted me to do the master's, so they wanted to give me a lot of time to do the master's. So it was a part-time job, reasonably okay paying, and I'd have plenty of time to stay serving at church. I was like, God, this is amazing. So I ended up doing that. And then the end of the third year of, of doing that, I knew my time was finished. I just had the sense in my spirit that now the the time for the next thing in my life. And that's where we get to Mark 10 eventually. So as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. He knelt down, and some of the other translations would say sort of fell down, kneeled down before him, sort of in a, in a posture of worship. And so I'm reading this passage one evening as I'm having what I would call my normal quiet time. At that stage, we had a whole bunch of stuff during the day, so quiet times for me worked best late in the evenings. And I was sitting, just praying, studying the Word, reading Mark, getting to Mark 10. I think it was Mark. I was, I was looking for my notes in the week, and I can't remember exactly, because the same passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, but I think it was the Mark passage. And he comes running to him, and he kneels down, and he asks, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I think that's a pretty solid question to ask. If you only had one question to ask Jesus, this is not the worst question to ask. Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. And so he's challenging this man. He's saying, Do you see me as just another teacher? Or do you see me as God? How do you relate to the answer I'm about to give you? But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Just before we carry on with my story. and I, When you read this passage, I think what we see is Scripture calls this man a um, it doesn't it's not in the text anyway, but it might be the little heading in your Bible above the section. It might say something along the lines of Jesus counsels a rich young ruler. And this man has come to be known, a rich known as the rich young ruler. If you talk about sort of in scripture, this man, that's the, the designation that he's referred to. I think if kind of just look at that term, you know, if you are where you are now. Mid-20s, what are the three things that we, we probably desire in life? We, if we're totally honest, at least what would the world desire? Maybe we're holy and pure. So, our friends who don't know Jesus, what is it they want? They want wealth. Youth. We've got youth. Youth is amazing. I love what someone said. Youth is wasted on the young, but we have youth, we have our whole lives in front of us, and we have power, we have authority. And here is this man who is rich, he's young, he is a ruler, he has everything that the world holds before us as, as something to be desired and something to be sought after. And he comes and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus rolls off the list and he comes and he says, Teacher, I've obeyed all of these commands since I was young. When I read this, I see someone who perhaps was a little bit like me in my first 18 years of, of life. I never killed anybody that I know of in that time, didn't commit adultery, although I probably did steal, if I'm totally honest. Might have testified falsely against some people in that time, probably cheated some people, played a lot of hockey in. <laughs> I don't know why this example is coming to my head. I remember specifically I was playing clubs, played club and school at the same time. and A club game on the weekend. I still don't know how the ref missed this. I kicked the ball. In hockey, for those of you who never played, the ball's not like coming close to your foot. I was like far away and I just physically like kicked the ball like a big punt. Like soccer, Ronaldo would have been proud. Boom. Into the goal. And the umpire turned around and awarded the goal. And the other team were like, what on earth? How does that happen? He said, what do you mean? What's wrong? We can do that. Anyway, I cheated some people. Probably shouldn't have. This is a great time to repent right now. Sorry, Jesus. Probably didn't always honor my father and my mother. But I read this and I I see this is almost like a a tick list. Christianity is what I would call it. A Christianity, a, a faith, a some people use this word religion. I hate the word religion because I, I actually think religion is a really good thing even though religion's been given a really, really bad rap lately. So the next time someone comes and says, don't be religious, religion is bad, I'm going to say, so I shouldn't visit widows and orphans either because the Bible says that's religion. You know, so I think there's a, a terminology issue there. We probably need to figure out um, But religion in the sense of deadness, that's bad. Religion in the sense of just works, what what we use the word religion to convey, that is bad. I agree with that. And so this is what we would call in church today, probably badly, we would call this religion. Just doing the right things. I wonder how many of us, when we go through our life, we go through our life a little bit following Jesus with just wanting ticklish Christianity. Jesus, I just want... Eternity, and don't get me wrong, that is amazing. That is why Jesus came, is to seek and to save the lost. Eternity is amazing. But Jesus comes, and, and this guy comes, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus sort of tells him, and, and we go through that as life. We just, as long as I just get into heaven, as long as I just tick all the boxes, I'm going to be okay. I remember reading this that night, and the next bit is what struck me. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I love how this translation puts it. Jesus felt genuine love for him. I see Jesus looking at this man, and within Jesus, there's this awareness to say to this man, but there is so much more. There is so much more to the life of faith than just the tick boxes. There is so much more than just following the rules. There is so much more than just getting the things right in a religious sense and getting into heaven one day. He carries on. He says, there's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your positions, possessions and give money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. I wonder if kind of, we were sitting here, And Jesus steps into your life tonight, and he says, come and follow me. I love our scriptures full of invitations. This invitation here, come and follow me. Jesus coming to Peter and James and John, the early disciples, and he said the same type of thing to all of them. Come, follow me. There's a lady in John chapter 4, God meets her just in a beautiful way at the well and she realizes that this person she's speaking to is Jesus, she runs back to her town where she's from and she says to them, come and see, come, this invitation, the New Testament is full of these invitations to come to Jesus and Jesus has this invitation before this man and he says to him, come, this is one of those passages that intellectually it freaks us out but if we're honest with our hearts, we understand it. You see, intellectually, the invitation is, come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away, sad. Some translations say very sad, exceedingly sorrowful, for he had many possessions. I wonder if there are things in our lives that would make us sad at a Jesus invitation. I wonder if there are things in our lives that if Jesus was to walk into your life, say, come, follow me that I would be sad. As I said, it's one of those things that intellectually we're like, no, duh. But when we think about it, we're like, wait, maybe I can probably relate a little bit. Maybe I can relate to the fact that following Jesus is going to cost me something. You see, I think what I see in this passage here is Jesus saying to this young man that, you know, there's tick box Christianity. You can just keep the commandments, do what's good, come to church every Sunday, be in small group, maybe even do Bible school, get the certificates, go through life, have a nice Christian badge. But I think Jesus looks at those of us who are going through that and He's filled with genuine love. And His invitation is, there is so much more for you. There is more for you than just going through the motions as a Christian. There's more for you than just doing what's right, getting the tick box, getting the the tick, the boxes ticked, getting the certificates, coming to the end of my life, somebody standing up at a funeral and saying nice words about you, about how you ticked all the boxes of the Christian life. See Jesus looking at the sky and saying, there is so much more. Come and follow me. And so I read this that night. Towards the end of my third year, my third year of teaching and of lecturing at the Varsity, I'm I'm sitting there and I'm, as I read this, I I know instantly that God is saying to me that he wants me to step away from all of the dreams that I had at that stage. Sort of where my career path was, was leading, studying in a certain direction, working towards a certain direction. I just felt in that moment, God said, will you lay that down for me? Just as an aside, good hermeneutics, that's a study of Scripture, tells us here that Jesus is speaking to an individual. So the call isn't for every single person who begins to follow Jesus to go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. That's not what Jesus says to every single person who follows him. And there are many ways that I can say that from Scripture because there are a whole bunch of other people. For example, Zacchaeus, who was a very rich man. God comes and intervenes in his life. God never once tell him, tells him to sell anything. Out of his own, he's like, if I've stolen, I'm going to give back to people. And I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to give to the poor. But he says he's going to give half to the poor. In other words, he keeps half. So Jesus isn't saying to everybody, you have to give away all of your financial possessions to come follow me. But the chances are, if we want to step into this adventure that God wants for us, it's going to cost us something. There's going to be something that is precious and seemingly meaningful to us that we're going to want to hold on to. So here am I as an early 20s guy, just sort of, boom, casting out into life, having the world, in a sense, before me. You know, I've got a good degree. I can get a good job. I can take all of the Christian boxes. I can live this life. And God comes and says, well, will you leave that for me? And I'm like, well, God's calling me to ministry. That night, I just knew that. Made an appointment when I see my pastor the next morning. I said, listen, I really sense God spoke to me last night that I must change direction. I must go into full-time ministry. I'd been very involved in ministry, but just like we encourage all of us to be involved in ministry. Serving at encounters, helping out where I can, going on missions teams, leading missions teams. I'll be doing all of that. And I was like, but, but I want to feel God wants me to step into that full-time. I went and spoke to him. He said, okay, great, sounds amazing, prayed with me, and then life went on. Saw this pastor basically every day, no response whatsoever, and it wasn't that he was wrong, it was God was working within me. And about two months later, I was like, I'm being serious, I really, remember the conversation we had, I I really sensed God called me, God is speaking to me, and I need to do this, and he was like, well, we don't have any kind of vacancies, we can't appoint you anywhere, but maybe what we can do is, we're just planting a church in Paul, so let's find like a, a part-time job for you, and then you can go and support the church in Paul, you can maybe do youth ministry there, kind of lead, or do something along those lines. I was like, great, sounds like a plan, let's do that. So I started applying for a bunch of different options in different places, and I'm um, sending my CV to, to various consultancy firms and banks and what, 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 what. Anyway, so I get to um, the end of the year, and we go on a mission, fantastic mission. We went to Pochastruim, had a great time of ministry there, drove all the way through to Barclay East. Does anybody know where Barclay East is? One of us. Okay. It is a town in South Africa. It really exists, I promise. Eastern Cape, huh? you've been there, Gandhi, one of the coldest places in the country. Fortunately, we were there in the summer, in December, and so I'm there, and so technology had advanced profoundly during my time at university, because by then we had cell phones. So we didn't have the phone connected to the wire anymore, I had like a cell phone. now, So somebody could phone me, and those cell phones are pretty cool, because you actually phoned on them, and you spent most of your time on your cell phone actually phoning. It's almost the only thing you did on it. Have you guys noticed that the one thing that you don't do on your cell phone is phone people anymore? Right? But then back then we did. So we're in this mission, and I'm leading this team, and um, We've got a little bus that we're driving. You need a special license to drive the bus. I'm the only guy on the team leading the team and I'm the only guy with a license to drive the bus. So my phone, my cell phone rings. I'm like, hello, yes, I can help. And it's the Reserve Bank here in Pretoria giving me a call. They had a cadet program, which was, if I remember correctly, a two year program, which you enrolled into, it was sort of a fast track program. They give you exposure to a variety of different areas within the Reserve Bank with the idea then to fast track into a senior sort of management type position. which would sort of typically be their, their plan, but then also the banks would come and headhunt those guys. It was a really great prestige thing to get into. So I'm like, I get this phone call. They want to have an interview. I'm like, well, that sounds really amazing. When's the interview? The interview's Monday. It's a Thursday. If very very I correctly, they're phoning me. I'm like, minor problem. Sounds really amazing. Small problem. I'm here on the border of like, what's it, Swaziland or Lesotho? Which border is there? Lesotho. On the border of Lesotho, I'm In the middle of nowhere, there's no ways I can get to the meeting on Monday. They're like, no, don't worry, we'll send a helicopter. <laughs> and like, there's wrestling inside of me because Monday, I'm the team leader. I'm the only driver. We need to drive from Barclay East. So we finish ministry on Sunday evening in the church where we're ministering. Monday, we drive to Sierra's, which is like on the other side of the country, almost halfway across the country. It's a long drive. And then Tuesday, we've got ministry appointments racked up for the rest of the week all across series. And I'm on phone, and these guys are like, so are you coming to the meeting? We'll phone you back a bit later. I, rem- I think remember, if I remember correctly, they gave me a bit of time to see if I could figure them stuff out. They phoned me back, and I was like, sorry, it's not happening. I'm going to have to let this one go. In this moment, it's just choice of saying, God, I'm, I'm choosing to trust you, to put you first. That was a long drive. The Monday from Berkeley East to Syracuse with all of the scenarios playing it out in my mind. And so I get back, we finish up ministry, we finish the team kind of that's his middle of December, um, have a little bit of a holiday, early January back in church having a great time, worships finished, and I think I was actually on computer again that night afterwards the one of the pastors comes up to me and said, listen, they've just had a meeting with a whole bunch of other pastors. At that stage, we just plant, started planting churches. There's a church we planted in Pretoria. Um, I knew the church. I knew the pastor here well. We were students together. Um, I would brought the missions team up here already. I knew the guys. He said, listen, they need somebody to start student ministry up in Pretoria. We'd like you to go. I was like, well, what else am I going to do with my life? Let's go. At Sunday night, Monday morning, I booked the ticket. Thursday, I flew up to Pretoria. I had a great camp here that a fantastic first year's camp after the camp. Flew back down to the Western Cape, packed all my goods. All of my human possessions fit into one little car. It was quite a humbling experience. Who's had a moment like that? Drive up all the way from Cape Town here in my one little car with all of my stuff in it. See, scriptures is full of invitations But there's always some hurdle as to why we can't follow Jesus. There's always some reason when Jesus says, come, follow me, why I can't. This guy had a really good reason. I mean, can you imagine if he went and he gave? He's a young guy. So the chances are, I'm speculating, I could be wrong, but most of this wealth, he either won the lotto or the wealth coming from his dad, from a family. He's inherited wealth. Can you imagine him going home that evening Where's your Mercedes? Oh, I sold it and gave it away. Your watch, the beggar down the street has it. The house, are going, where are you sleeping tonight? Dad, can I stay here tonight? Why, oh, I sold my house. Can you imagine that conversation go down? That's going to be a bit of an awkward conversation. He's got a bunch of good reasons. Kind of, I was saying this morning, uh, I've got this idea. It might be, com- it's not in the Bible at all. So I could be, once again, 100% horribly wrong about this. But in heaven one day, we're going to have like a big IMAX with remote control. And we can zoom into any moment in history and kind of watch it replay in front of us. One of the moments I want to replay too is there's this young guy called Elisha one day. And he's busy plowing a field with his father's ox. And another guy, Elijah, comes walking past. And Elijah drops his jacket on the ground. And walks away. And Elisha understands, wait, here's an invitation to come and follow. And this Elisha guy, this young guy, he says, I'm coming. Just hold on a moment. So what does he do? He slaughters the cow, that the ox that he's busy plowing with. He takes the plow because it's made of wood and he uses that as a fire to have this big kind of brye And I'm not thinking, Elisha is never going home again. Imagine him going home His dad is like, what a loser child. I don't know, maybe. I doubt very much when his dad heard the story, he was like, yes, my son is following the prophet. Wanted this his whole life. He's probably that boy again. How are we going to eat? Who's going to plow my fields now? The ox, the one ox I had is now burnt and charred. It's just bones left on the ground. It costs us something to step into the higher life that God is calling us to. It costs us something in the natural. I'm going to get to that because this passage doesn't end there. Just hang on a second. We'll get to that. But it costs us something that the world looks at us and and says, what are you doing? The world says this. The things that matter are different to what Jesus says are the things that matter. So this man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. So that night, I, I made that decision and I said, God, yes, I'm all in for this. But there were some things that I, I needed to step away from, some things that I needed to say, Yes, Jesus, about. Some things that I needed to say, God, these things, I'm going to choose to not make them matter. The conversation, so this guy goes and he leaves. We don't know what happens. We don't know if he sells his stuff and comes back to Jesus. There's some sort of history around that and some, um, what do you call them, legends of what could probably have happened, might have happened, but we don't know for sure exactly what happened. So this guy goes, but the conversation continues. Jesus looks at his disciples. He looks around and he says to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. There are a bunch of different sort of interpretations of this. Some people say that the, um, Jerusalem had a gate, so they had walls around the city, and to get into the city of Jerusalem, you had to go through this gate, and one of them was a really small gate, and it was called the eye of the needle because it was so small. And camels at that time were used for transport, so they had a whole bunch of bags on them. And in order to get into this, for that camel to be able to get into the city, it had to stop, it had to cast all of its weight off, it would be able to pass through, just squeeze through the gate, get into the city, and the stuff would follow. That might be, it might also be that Jesus just meant a needle and a thread. Because the point is making, it. look what his disciples say, then who in the world can be saved? See, the point is that it is hard when they have the things of this world to also follow Jesus. Jesus looked at them intently and said one of those quotes that most of us probably know, we've heard before, but it's so great to hear it in context. He says, humanly speaking, it is impossible. Which makes me lean towards the actual knitting needle type of thing. Jesus wasn't exaggerating. You're saying it is impossible to do this. It is impossible in our own strength. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. And so, some of us perhaps, we like that rich young ruler, and God comes and He steps into our life. Maybe not tonight, maybe tomorrow night, a week, a month, a decade from now. I don't know. God steps into your life and He says, Come, follow me. And so, oh God, that's hard. God says, I know it's hard. And in your own strength, it is impossible. But with me, all things are possible. You cannot, that young man cannot step away from the truth, the bondage of the things of this world, if he doesn't experience grace of God to do that. So Jesus is saying, we, we can't step away from just mundane Christianity without the grace of God to do that. But with God, we can. His grace is there to call us higher, to call us to more. Then Peter began to speak up. You've got to love Peter. Peter was the guy in the group who, in Afrikaans, we'd say, "Was op sy bek geval nie?" He was the one who always was quick to speak, and he was right in this case. Peter began to speak up. We have given everything to follow you. So that guy, he just walked away. He hasn't given up everything. We've given up everything. Us standing here, Jesus, we've done it. Look how cool we are. And he was right. They had. I love Jesus' response. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Can you remember where this question started? What must I do? Jesus says, if you do this, you will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. See, what Jesus is saying is that He calls us to walk away from the things of this world, to follow Him, but we don't end up poor. Maybe we end up poor from a bank account point of view. But from eternity. I love what he says here. He says, um, and in the world to come they will have eternal life. It's in one of the, the, the other, in, either in Luke or the, Matthew. Oh, this is the Luke one, and we don't know, this is the Mark one. In the Luke or the Matthew one, he says, and store up treasure in heaven in this context as well. Was that what he said to the rich young ruler? Sorry, I'm confusing myself here for a moment. Let me just scroll here. Yes, he said, go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. You will have treasure in heaven. You're going to have so much more in this life and in the life to come. Maybe not in the way that the world, I don't sense what Jesus is saying here Is hey, if you walk away from what matters, don't worry, I'm just going to give you a bunch of it extra. So it's not really that you're walking away from anything. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to give you what matters and what's valuable far more than this world can give you. So I remember as a, as a, as a lecturer, there was another lady who was lecturing with me. Um, same age as me, studied undergraduate together, were studying postgraduate together, lectured together. and She was also a Christian and really loved Jesus. She was, because of the environment that, that she was in at that stage, she was still very much what I would call the tick box Christian. Just doing the right things, living the good life. And so we'd spend time together, kind of as you do as colleagues, and we'd have the odd lunch at work together. We'd sit together and mark, we'd ask questions, what, what, what. And uh, I remember one day she looked and she said, You have an interesting life. And it just struck me because to me it seemed like it was normal. It seemed normal going to India and coming back and going to Malawi or Zambia or whatever it was and, and coming back and doing ministry and going away over weekends to do ministry and kind of just seeing God move and seeing people get saved and seeing people get baptized and seeing lives change. That was the norm. And she was like, you've got an interesting life. A couple of years later, um, after working, I, that car that I drove up to Pretoria in with all of my earthly belongings, Um, was driving, at that stage I was staying in Centurion, driving back to Centurion one day, and you know how sometimes on the highways, everyone just stops in front of you for whatever reason, there's a little bit of clog up, so you're driving, like, stop a little bit quickly, and everyone stopped, we went, the cars in front of me all stopped, I stopped, and the lady behind me did not stop. So, smashed into the back of my car, my car into the car in front of me, didn't look that bad, but. I think the chassis or something may have been, the car was written off. And um, had some whiplash and some damage like that. And these things take a lot of time. Do you have any lawyers in the house? Uh, These road accident fun things. Anyway, they helped me, they put in a claim. And a whole bunch later, Kind of, they kept phoning me all the time about kind of legal questions. I was like, "Do whatever you need to do, and let me know when it's done." And then I would get an email: "I need to go see this occupational therapist. I need to go see that surgeon. What, 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 what? All of the tests they needed to do. Eventually, after the whole process, just like a month before my daughter's born, if I remember correctly, I get a, an email from them: "Hey, this whole thing's finally finished. There's a stack of money heading to your bank account." I was like, "Whoa, this is cool." And then I went like, "Okay." What if I, because I can do a little bit of financial math now, what if I discount this as if it had been added to my salary for the entire time that I've been working in church? So I quickly did the sum, it like a calculator, and I was like, I would have been earning a pretty good salary. See, because when I, I came here, I came as a, as a student pastor for a, a young church and really wasn't paid a lot. But I mean, I wasn't doing it for the money. And then, interestingly, actually, we had family friends who own a private school here in the city, and their maths, um, actually statistics teacher, was, um, I think it was on maternity leave or something, and they heard I was coming up, and they're like, hey, don't you just want to come and full in? So I actually taught a bunch of, they were um, A-level students, helped them with their statistics for a couple of months, and getting a, a small salary from the church. But then I did this, and I was like, Wait. If I take this fund that I got from the road accident fund and I kind of backdate and discount it as if it had been added to my salary, I probably in this time have earned pretty much what my friends who went into the private sector would have earned anyway. And I was like, God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. Yes, there's a cost. Yes, I might come to the end of my life and have less zeros and digits in my bank account and some of my friends, but Scripture also says that life does not exist. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. See, life is so much more than what the world says. And this evening, that's this invitation that I want to hold before us: that Jesus is calling us to more. He's calling us to engage a life that goes beyond what the world says is just. A, the world is very happy with us living text box Christianity. The world is happy with us just doing the right things, being nice, loving orphans, you know, going to church on Sunday mornings. The world's happy with that. The devil, I guess, is happy with that. Where the devil gets nervous is where we begin to say, God, I'm giving up and I'm stepping into a life that looks different. I'm following Jesus. I can't tell you where Jesus is going to lead you. I can't tell you it's going to be an adventure. It's going to cost some stuff. There's going to be some heartache and pain along the way. Anything of value is. It's the same. I'm a parent. I love my kids. There's some heartache and pain along the way as a parent. Sometimes I sit with my kids and I'm like, what have you done? Sometimes I sit with my kids and I'm like, what, what have you done? What have I done? You know, I've, I've failed my children. Sometimes there's heartache. I know there's going to be more, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Following Jesus is similar to that. He calls us to more. He calls us to a life that is different to the world, that the world looks at, and perhaps even the rich young ruler looks at, and he says, you're crazy. There okay. we go. Just parked here in the road, eh? guy is starting. Don't they want to come and join us for church? All uh? right. Well, they're carrying on. There we go. Jesus is calling us to step beyond just ticking the boxes. So, I want to invite you this evening. I know most of us here are young. For some of us, it's not something that kind of God is doing with us now. But there's no reason we can't lay the foundation for this. This moment, you know, we all have this rich young ruler moment. We all have a couple of moments in our lives, I believe. We have a moment where we meet Jesus. We have a moment where salvation enters. We have a moment where sin is washed away. We move from darkness to light. We're moved from away and far from God to with God. We have that moment. We have a moment where the Spirit begins to move in our life and we just begin to walk in the, in the fullness of what the Spirit has for us. We have that moment, and I think... We have another moment where we have a rich young ruler moment. There are a couple of others as well, but a moment where we say we count the cost and we're like, yes, Lord. So a last verse that I want to read with us, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 8, just as I came to the faith, there was this group, some of you may have heard of them, the two, six, eight generation, and they were recording CDs and doing like little student ministry things in the U.S. and had grown since. And. Um, They're now called Passion or the Passion Movement. and Some of you may have heard some of their songs and we sing some of their songs and heard some of their sermons. Um, They'll be filling Loftus again in February next year. I think it's the 16th of February. I don't know if we're allowed saying that yet. Anyway, we're going to be packing Loftus out for Jesus with them. but they were the 268 generation that they still still called the 268 generation, but their name's more Tibetan. The name was so a friend of mine, who was a worship leader. he was a worship leader at the church I was at. We became good friends, and he's now a worship leader at Life Church in the U.S. Many of us might have a Bible app on our phone, which sort of is his, church, one of his church's things. He's a worship leader there now. And um, he got the city from passion. 268 generation. 268 generation is based on this passage from Isaiah chapter 26, verse 8 from the NIV. It says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This evening, we're going to read the rest in a moment, but I want to invite you, let's just stop at those two words. You see, our, our call should be, yes, Lord. What's the question? Jesus, the answer is yes because you are calling. It doesn't quite matter what the question is. It's yes, Lord. Jesus, if you are the one that's asking, the answer is yes because it's a call to come to you, to follow you. I'm going to come follow you. I don't want us. my prayer is that none of us would ever be in a place where God calls us and we live exceedingly sorrowful because we value the things of this world. I can think of Few sadder moments in our lives. My prayer is that when God says, Come, follow me, our response is, Yes, Lord. Some of us are a little bit our default, maybe in life, and I want to encourage you fight this with Jesus. In your relationship with Jesus, when the invitation comes, some of us, when somebody phones us and they ask us to do something, our first response is, The reason why we can't. Our first response is the excuse. Our first response is the no, and then we work through it. and we're, Okay, maybe I'll come. Maybe if that's the way you're inclined, it's not wrong, it's not bad. But change that in your relationship with Jesus. Let's make our first response, Jesus, yes. I don't know how, but yes. Jesus, yes. and wake up tomorrow morning, like, shucks, what did I say yes to? How are we going to do this? But Jesus, I said yes, because it was you. My response is yes. Jesus, if you're asking, the answer is always yes. I'm not leaving with a sad face. Maybe I'm leaving with a confused face. Maybe I'm leaving with a worried face because I've got no clue what is going to work. But I'm leaving with a face that's filled with faith because I'm believing in Jesus. Yes, Lord. Walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts, and that's a whole sermon by itself. I might preach on a different day again, but I want us this evening just to think about, yes, Lord. One more story before I close. I remember sitting with a, a worship leader a while ago and having a, a frank conversation with him. Sitting with him, and he was telling me that, you know, God's call. he believes God's called him to be a worship leader. So I said, well, let's talk about where your life is now. Yes, we've all seen that picture, and it's right kind of, you know, my plan, I'm here, my end goal is there, boom. And God's plan is, you know, we've all seen, there is that. So just keep that in mind in this conversation. But there is also the, am I leaning into what God's called me to, or am I not? I can be leaning into what God's called me to do and still going this type of road. Does that make sense? If I believe God's called me to a worship leader, but right now I'm working as a doctor, am I still leaning into worship in my time that I was a doctor? Am I finding places to grow as a worship leader, to serve as a worship leader? Maybe every day I go to work and I'm like, God, can I just resign and go work as a worship leader? And God is, no. Stay here as a doctor. But I'm still pressing into worship. Do you guys understand that? And so I've got this guy and he wasn't pressing in. I had a hard conversation with him one stage afterwards he said he wants to say thank you he said because he understands this is probably a hard conversation for me to have i told him no this isn't a hard conversation this is an easy conversation to have the hard conversation is when you're 60 years old and we go and have coffee and you look at me in the eye and you say philip i missed god's purpose for my life and you let me that's a hard conversation that's the hard conversation. The easy conversation is now, hey, let's do a check about the tra- 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 trajectory we're on. Are we leaning into where God wants us to go? We're we running after a whole bunch of different things. Are we obedient to the call of God upon our lives? Is our answer, yes, Lord? Or are we finding excuse after excuse not to press into God, not to pursue His purposes, not to Step out and step into what He has for us. So, I want to encourage us this evening. I want to pray with us this evening. Can we stand together as we pray? And I want to pray specifically for two groups of people three groups, maybe. The first group is if you happen to be here tonight and you've never had that moment of stepping into eternal life, you've never had that moment of laying aside your sin and stepping into the grace and the knowledge of Jesus then I want to say to you, we want to pray with you tonight. There is such joy that awaits, joy that God has held up for you. We want you to walk in that. We can't wait for you to step into that. We want to pray with you about that. But similarly, if you here tonight, the other two groups that I want to pray with is maybe right now you know God is speaking to you about stepping away from something. He might not be, but if he is, we want to respond to that. We want to pray with you. If God's knocking at your door, if he's looking at you, I love this verse here. God's looking at the man. He felt genuine love for him. If you're experiencing a little bit of God looking at you, he feels genuine love for you, and he says, there's one more thing we need to talk about. And you're like, ouch. With God, it's with Man, it's impossible. With God, it's possible. We want to pray with you in that moment for the grace to let go of whatever it is. It might be a relationship. It might be a dream. It might be a decision that you need to reverse. It might be a step you took. You need to stay back. It might be. Whatever it is, we want to pray with you around that. And then the other group is if you're here tonight and you've realized that your default to God is not always Yes there's other stuff tonight you just want to stop and say God I want to make my default yes I want to say yes Lord I don't know what it looks like I'm a little bit scared perhaps what it looks like because I like having everything planned out and the Excel sheets all figured out I know step by step what's happening next and yes Lord there isn't so much all of that but I want to say yes Lord and tonight we want to pray with you too so can we bow our heads close our eyes Jesus Tonight, I thank you that you look at every single one of us, Lord, and you feel genuine love. That right now, your love is just washing over us, Lord. And as your love washes over us, Lord, that there's an invitation to more. Lord, tonight we want to say that we don't just want to do the the ordinary and the normal, Lord. We don't just want to go through life ticking the boxes, Jesus. Jesus, we want to go through life following you. Whatever's holding us back, Lord Jesus. Whatever reasons we might have not to follow you right now, we just want to lay those down, Jesus, and say, yes, Lord.